This is an ABC podcast. For some of us, an intense feeling of loss occurs when you discover who you think you are isn't really who you are. Leading up to the marriage equality plebiscite, journalist and commentator David Marr was a passionate advocate. Happily partnered for 20 years, as soon as Parliament passed the motion, people were asking him and his partner to set a date. But David Marr isn't sure he actually wants to get married. Because one day, late in 1975, an inescapable truth dawned on him. High on LSD, the day of his wedding to a woman, David realised he was gay. And a warning, this talk has a little bit of swearing in it. Without further ado, David Marr. I am, of course, cock-a-hoop about the Marriage Amendment Act. Couldn't be happier. I wept on television. How good it was to see the last division in Parliament that afternoon, the yes side of the House as packed as the Royal Easter show of my childhood, and on the other side, the no voters, four lonely figures. In all the months of blather that we had been through and in all the months of blather that lie ahead, let us never forget the sight The forces we are up against can be counted on one hand with a thumb to spare. (laughs) By late that night, my man and I had been offered a cake, a venue and a DJ. But we're holding back. We have no immediate marriage plans. I'm not proud of the reason for this. It's not just the embarrassing prospect of Sebastian and me kitted out in matching tuxedos, um, the buttonholes matching and the smiles matching. Um, Why do same-sex couples feel they have to match? (laughs) Sorry, it's it's a fashion point, I suppose. It's just that I am terrified of the ceremony itself. You see, I've been married. And that midwinter day in Queensland in 1975 (laughs) remains the most bizarre day of my life (laughs) by a long, long way. The day I came face to face, not before time, indeed a bit late, and not without chemical assistance, (laughs) with the inescapable truth. And I should tell you that they're capped I, inescapable T, cap T, truth. The wedding was, at my insistence, because I was a bit embarrassed about the whole thing, a small affair, just a few family and a few friends at a weatherboard church in Montville, which in those days was a pretty village on a high ridge, a detail that matters, a high ridge behind the Sunshine Coast. It was not, in the usual way, a traditional Australian wedding, a tradition in the sense that the best man is deeply in love with the groom. Who in this room has not heard stories of the last nights of grooms and best men together in motel rooms before the ceremony? Who has not noticed the sidelong glances from best man to groom, glances aching with regret as they wait together for the last time at the altar for the arrival of the rather intrusive bride? (laughs) 
In my case, the problem was more on the groom's side. It was me. While it went well, the day went perfectly. The ceremony, the photographs, lunch, absolutely delicious. And then about three o'clock, the family disappeared, leaving Jenny and me with half a dozen friends on the veranda of what real estate agents call these days a Queenslander to enjoy the view, the afternoon sun, and the wedding presents. We knew a lot about LSD by 1975. <laughs> the music, the t-shirts, indeed, in so many ways it was starting to seem old-fashioned. What we didn't know then was that at the height of the Cold War, the CIA had conducted two secret investigations, Project MK Ultra and Project MK Delta to investigate the possible use of LSD as a weapon of torture and as a truth drug. The aim was to break prisoners, commie prisoners, as the red tide threatened to sweep across Asia. But the result, after years of scientific research, was to abandon the pursuit. The CIA concluded LSD by disrupting defensive patterns may sometimes be helpful in interrogation, but even under the best conditions, it will elicit an output contaminated by deception, fantasy, garbled speech, etc. No such magic brew as the popular notion of truth serum exists. All I can say to the CIA at this distance is, you didn't ask me. Jenny, my wife of a few hours, had an old friend who had turned hippie and was living in the Dandenongs. She came to the wedding not with tea towels or George Jensen spoons as gifts, but a little LSD for the bride and groom and indeed for the bridal party to while away the afternoon. Like marriage itself, LSD was a first time for me. <laughs> My wife's old school chum called the little shards of gelatine that she handed us clear light. It was just a taste, she said, just a taste. And how perfect that name seemed when, after a little, the sun paused in its path to illuminate the landscape spread below us to stroke the little towns and cane farms, the remnant patches of forest and the distant sea with a soft yet intense light. A quality of light I'd never noticed in my life. Certainly never looking down as I had so often on the Sunshine Coast from the heights of Monfil. I have an unfortunate habit of pointing out beautiful things to anyone in my near vicinity in case they miss them. <laughs> beautiful landscapes, beautiful paintings, beautiful everything. It's a compulsion, perhaps a little vain, that I can't fight. It's, it's an irresistible need within me to lend my eye for beauty to everyone around me. <laughs> Uninvited. Look at Nanbor, I said. It's so beautiful. 
And there was gentle, knowing, experienced laughter along the veranda. Not yet celebrated as the birthplace of Kevin Rudd, but with the <laughs> sugar refinery still belching smoke into the late afternoon air, Nambour seemed at that moment ravishingly beautiful in the distance. And then came the moment of truth. I had been married not five hours and with perfect clarity, yes, chemically assisted clarity, I knew that what I had done was wrong. Marrying was a mistake. And despite this devastating insight, I felt absolute calm, almost relief, as the certainty of my blunder settled on me. Researching this speech, I was determined not to be merely confessional tonight, but to be scientific. I came across the words of the American psychoanalyst Sidney Cohen. You're probably familiar with his work. He was an early LSD researcher and a mate of Aldous Huxley, who captured exactly my mood late on my wedding day. And I quote, the problems and strivings, the worries and frustrations of everyday life vanished, he wrote. In their place was a majestic, sunlit, heavenly inner quietude. Exactly. And a heap of trouble. <laughs> the only drug I recommend to anyone is Panadol. I could never endorse LSD, not after all I've read and after my go in Montville 40 years ago. I didn't have terrifying hallucinations. I didn't see the world ending in a rain of toads. I didn't jump out a window. I faced the truth that I was queer. It would have come, of course, but it did have to come on my wedding day. Jenny and I split up. It was awful. 20 years later, almost to the day, I met my man. Not the first man in, the, in that time, of course, but the perfect man has been my partner ever since. We backed equal marriage, of course. And when the bill went through, everyone assumed we would be wed. Friends want a party. Be very suspicious of friends who urge a wedding. They want a chance to give speeches, to rake over old catastrophes in, of course, the most loving way. I would ask my old best man to be best man again. We're still great friends. I would insist on gifts. But then I think of the last time, and I hesitate, that old Queenslander has long gone, demolished to make way for an unbelievably ugly shopping centre. Jenny has died. Nambour remains, of course, as ugly as ever. <laughs> and oddly, that evening when the vote came through, images of Nambour came into my mind. <laughs> and they pop up too often when I think, should I be getting married again? Sebastian isn't keen. We've had our ceremony, he said, and that's true. A couple of years after we met, so this is nearly 20 years ago, we were on the dance floor at Mardi Gras, and who spoke first we can't now remember, but with the perfect sobriety that comes at about 3 a.m. at Mardi Gras. <laughs> tum, 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 tum. One checked with the other. We're married, aren't we? Yeah, yes, we agree. Yeah, of course, of course. In front of a few thousand friendly witnesses, we agreed we were and we're still married. 
I proposed, of course, in all the euphoria once the law was passed, but Sebastian countered with the suggestion that we renew our vows and how wonderful that would be. It's 2018 and I'm a bit old these days, but I can still go dancing. Thank you, David Marr. David's story was first told at Queer Stories, a LGBTQI plus life storytelling event and podcast with regular events in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. Next up on Tall Tales and True, it's my story. It hadn't even been 24 hours, but already people were making the rounds with the home-cooked meals. I'm sorry about your dad. Here's a lasagna. After a while, you start ranking your friends and family based on the quality of their food. It becomes this morbid game of MasterChef where you weigh up the cheese to sympathy ratio of each meal. Someone brought around a packet of Tim Tams and I thought, my dad's dead, Karen. You can do better. Tall Tales and True is the best of live storytelling across Australia. So make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can check out the ABC Listen app for heaps of other great shows, live radio and lots more. Like us on Facebook to keep up to date with the latest podcasts or tell us what you think. Until next time, I'm Bridget Judd and this is Tall Tales and True.